50 burning, I, I, I do declare. This is Hypercritical, a weekly talk show ruminating on exactly what is wrong in the world of Apple and related technologies and businesses. Nothing is so perfect that it can't be complained about by John Syracuse. That's right. I'm Dan Benjamin. Today is Friday. Finally, it's August 31st, 2012. This is episode number 83 of Hypercritical. We would like to say thanks very much to our sponsors, amazing sponsors, who make this show possible. Shopify.com, Squarespace.com, and Textastic. We also want to mention that bandwidth for this whole month of August has been sponsored by Audiobooks App. Listen to thousands of classic audiobooks free, free, on your iPhone or iPad. Check them out today at audiobooksapp.com or just search for audiobooks in the App Store. Big thanks to them for sponsoring a bandwidth all month long. Hello to you, John Syracuse. How's everything going on this Friday? Just wonderful. Wonderful. Yes. No news is good news. Got a lot of news, actually. Oh. I think that's the problem. I think I'm I'm over-provisioning. Like on live, I'm I'm putting more stuff in my notes than can actually fit in a show. So last week I had to ditch half of my stuff. And this half week of I, your stuff I've, was gone. I've probably done it again this week. I think I think I'm just putting too much in. So maybe we'll just cut this off midway through. But we'll see. All right. Well, it's your show. Do you you don't do? Yeah. I don't know. Or it could just you know the stuff could actually go quickly and we'll get to everything. I don't know. Okay. Just trying to adjust. Yeah, I hear that. Adjust to the events of the day. What is, well, so what is the news? What's been happening that you've been reflecting well, we sp- upon? We spent three shows talking about Mountain Lion. That time is over. Now we're trying to settle back into, into a normal pattern, right? Yeah, you're, to, you're uh, regular, your regular thing now. We can get back to normal. Go back to ordinary time to do a uh, slightly different religious reference for once. <laughs> so let's start with some follow-up. <laughs> of course. Yeah. We got uh, Roberto Jung Durebes or something similar to that offers a theory for why the RSS screensaver might have gone away in Mountain Lion. Oh. Now, was this something you... Remind me, is this something you used a lot? Did you like this one? No, I just used it as an example of like... Uh, something people, that was taken. Com- right. And that, that, and people complain about, you know, when anything changes that they're used to in their operating system if they can't think of a good reason for it. So why why did you take... Uh, lots of screensavers went away, not just the RSS screensaver, but, you know, why did you take my RSS screensaver away? It doesn't seem like something you need to do. Many people actually wrote in with a theory, oh, well, Apple's is, you know, down on RSS. They took RSS out of Safari, they took it out of Mail. They're just like, they're not into RSS anymore. Right. Which is probably true, but it's not, again, it's not like the RSS screensaver was out there uh, bothering people. Like, it's not, it's not part of their strategic message as it would be, like, you know, to have Mail and Safari, two flagship applications, to have <laughs> integrated RSS. That's a particular message about how Apple feels about RSS and taking it out. I mean, they took they took notes out of Mail too, but they gave it its own application. So they took RSS out of everywhere and didn't give it its own application. But you can still get other news readers, whatever. So that's kind of more of a touchy feely uh, reason. But Roberto, Roberto suggests that it's because the PubSub framework is going away. They're just trying to get rid of that entire framework that does that. I don't know if this is true. Uh, it's still actually there, according to him. So it's not like it's gone. It's not. But maybe they're just trying to ditch that framework because it was poorly implemented or badly supported, or they just don't think it's strategic. But uh, Many different theories about why, in particular, the RSS screens everywhere. It doesn't really talk about all the other things that might have gone away for less explicable reasons. But there you have it. Apple and RSS uh, not sitting in a tree. <laughs> right. I'm 
uh, when we were talking about the displays control panel. Uh, not control panel. They're not control panels anymore. System preferences. I, I meant to mention this in the mountain line things. In all of my mountain line reviews, I call, you know, so the thing, the thing that you click on, system preferences, is the application that shows the little window with all the icons where you can change stuff. And I call each individual one of those things a preference pane. And I don't remember if that's Apple's terminology that I latched onto years ago or if I made it up, but I've stuck with it for years. And so far, no one has either called me on it and said, you know, those things aren't called preference panes. They're actually called whatever. And I think no one has been confused by it, but I've been very consistent in calling them a preference panes in recent years. Do you know what they're supposed to be called? I've always called it a pref pane too. I mean, I don't, I think that's a standard. Maybe they, could that possibly be like a Windows term that crept into this? I, I would have to think that I didn't make it up. It's probably from Apple and I just, you know. I, I definitely have heard it before I heard you mention it, but I, I will gladly defer to you and say that you came up with it. No, I, I don't think I came up with it. But the thing is like, I think people know what I mean when I say preference pane. Certainly anyone listening to this show, or even if you've never heard the term before, you can figure out, oh, he means one of those things that you click on in system preferences. Maybe it's the file name extension. Is it prefpane.prefpane file extension? Where are they even stored? I'll look. I know where they're stored, but anyway, I'm not going to look it up now. That's, but anyway, we're talking about the displays preference pane and how it shows you a picture of your monitor there. Uh, I thought that was neat where you know, they have these high quality icons of uh, all the stuff yes uh david smith in chat room says they're called preference panes that's apple's term from so there you go i'm not making it i'm not just making it up uh and a, cu- a couple bits of follow-up on the uh the displays preference panes showing your monitor first were the sticklers who wrote in to note that apple doesn't actually have super high quality pictures of everything even all of apple's own stuff uh Actually, I don't remember I noticed this in the review, but like the actual displays preference pane icon changed from one of the old style like aluminum surrounded ones that I'm looking at now uh, with the white side panels made of plastic to one of the glass front black face ones. Uh, And that icon doesn't change based on your display. That's just like one icon for everybody. Uh, But when you go into the preference pane, they show you a, a graphic that's supposed to look like your model. And mine does look exactly like my model. But if you have, uh, for example one of the MacBook Pro models that could come in a matte screen or a glossy screen, you apparently don't get the matte screen. And that may be because they have no way to detect the matte screen. Like there's no, they can't detect that in the hardware or maybe because they just never bothered to draw both different models or some combination of the two. So even if you have Apple hardware, there's still some room for improvement for them exactly matching what it is that you have in front of you. Uh, And the other thing is, uh, I was saying if you connect some generic Dell monitor, I wonder if you just get this generic image. And many people wrote in to tell me that if you do connect some generic Dell monitor, what you get instead is a picture of a generic Apple monitor. I don't know which one it is. I think it's probably the one I'm looking at now, like the older model, but I'm not sure. Or maybe it depends on the model that you connect. But what you don't get is like a placeholder non-Apple monitor filler image. And that reminds me of the, well, first of all, I think that's pretty generous because I think the pictures of the Apple hardware probably look better than the actual Dell hardware does. Uh, But it reminded me of some of the icons Apple has used for a generic non-Apple computer uh, in Mac OS X for like, you know, in the, the, say you're in the Finder and you see them in the sidebar as a mounted server or something like that. I put a link in the show notes to one of the icons, which was the icon for a, well, it's generic PC is what Apple calls it. It's public.genericpc.icns. 
And this was in the Leopard review where they added a whole bunch of these really high quality icons. Like I have a picture of a Mac Mini that it, like doesn't look anything like an icon. It looks like a full high quality image. And this generic PC image, it's it's one of the most uh, cruel images Apple has ever created of PCs. Because uh, are you looking at this from the show notes now? Or do I, have to, I should paste this in the chat room. Yeah, put it in the chat room too. But yeah, I see it here. Right. So first of all, it's a CRT and 10.5 was a while ago but it wasn't that long ago like lcds were common and if you're you know it's not like pcs didn't have lcds so they just chose to use a crt to represent a pc and of course on the on the screen of the crt is <laughs> the blue screen of death <laughs> it's great bsod it's funny i mean it's it's and it seems like that was just a fun inside joke yeah, I mean, this normally this icon is displayed at a resolution. But it's where you such can't an awful. That. It's such an awful. The color that they use for it is like the ugly beige. It's got yeah. the ugly buttons. It's got the, you know, the strange little four footed stand underneath it. And it's a, it actually, if you look at this thing up close, like you should, if uh, and and John has it linked here. <laughs> if you look at this thing close, it actually says Windows, a fatal exception. Uh, you know, I mean, it actually has the whole message. It's, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's great. And as I noted in the review, I think I think as you pointed out, the the monitor hardware itself is much worse than the blue screen of death joke because the blue screen of death jokes are cheap and stupid or whatever. But the monitor hardware is the most damning thing about this because that that's like what how Apple views PC hardware as the butt ugliest, disgusting uh, creation you could possibly imagine. And I wonder if that's a real PC monitor if they just made it up, but it's a good representation of. Ugly beige, stupid buttons, inelegant, bloated, rounded in two directions, not even a Trinitron, right? It's like the worst possible CRT you can possibly imagine. So so be glad, Dell people. Apple could have uh, done the equivalent of that and put up some terrible, ugly picture of a generic PC monitor, to tr- you know, like w- with bad off-angle viewing and messed up uh, colors all over it. And I don't know. So, so there you have it. Apple being slightly more generous with its display of non-Apple hardware. Uh, the other thing we talked about on the last show about Mountain Lion was battery life. And I had mentioned that I'd heard reports about bad battery life from people, and every time I'd gone to investigate them, I'd found it uh, not to be an issue with the OS, but to be uh, an issue unrelated to the upgrade, but just, you know, the usual thing, usual battery killers like Flash or, uh, you know, a tab that's messed up or some program running in the background that's killing battery life. And you had investigated something on your own and found something similar. The tweet bot was sucking your battery life down. Uh, and shortly after the show ended, I found a couple of articles that were actually published that day that were reviews of uh, stories around the web that had been published earlier, but that I had not read, actually measuring battery life on 10.7 versus 10.8 because 10.8.1 had just come out and it was like 10.7 versus 10.8 and 10.8 versus 10.8.1. And these tests, one of which I have linked in the show notes, show pretty conclusively that uh, Mountain Lion was a big step down in battery life uh, from 10.7. And that 1081 really helped matters, but it's still behind where 174 was. Uh, so I think they say compared to 1074, 1081 is still about 20% lower. Uh, so uh, Apple's got some ground to make up there. It would have been interesting to, I don't know if they did it. Do they measure 1081 versus 1070? Mm-hmm. Like it would have been interesting to see, did 107 go through this similar uh, trail where 1070 had problems and they kept tweaking and tweaking. You know, it, it's weird to me that like battery life tends to increase in the point releases because you would think Apple's got access to all the possible models of hardware and presumably they kind of know what most people run. Like you could, it seems like something you could test 
Like, are they releasing it knowing that they're really hurting battery life? Or are they genuinely surprised when they start getting in, like, you know, the system information that comes back from your thing or whatever? If you opt into that thing saying, oh, wow, people in the field are getting much worse battery life than we were in the labs. And maybe maybe it's stuff like we didn't account for how things like TweetBot Alpha would behave under 10.8 versus 10.7. And, well, and obviously they're not going to they're not going to test every single application out there. They can't and they, they don't probably even want to. So, of course, I think they have to be relying in some degree on those kinds of reports. They have to be, even though we think of Apple as a very closed kind of a company that's never, you know, never doing testing in, you know, with control groups and bringing people in and all that. I, th- I think they do rely on this kind of thing. And I, th- I would I think Apple is absolutely paying attention to this stuff and reading its forums and far, far more than we would ever think they are. Well, like, because in theory, they, they're trying to make 10.8 more battery efficient than 10.7. Like, that's their goal. And presumably, they, they have, when they test it in-house, is that the result they get? They, oh, okay, this is doing much better. Like, these battery tests are not testing with exotic applications. They're, like, opening Safari or Mail, Apple's own applications, and doing some little piece of activity. I mean, maybe maybe Apple's using different benchmarks than these people are. But uh, anyway, I think this this supports the wildly held idea that 10.8 is not as good in battery life as 10.7 was, but apparently 10.8.1 is better, and presumably 10.8.2 will be better, so hopefully we'll, we'll reach parity, or Apple will figure out what the, the big hang-up is. So with Apple's typical silence, you don't know, like, again, did they knowingly release 10.8.0 uh, with uh, worse battery life? Did they know they were going to fix it in 10.8.1, or is this purely reactive, or, or were they genuinely surprised, like, geez, when we tested this in our labs, it always performed better than 10.7.4, you know? It's mysterious, but anyway, the reality is what the reality is. You got a little nice little bar graph there, so I would say uh, to 10.80 people uh, upgrade to 10.81, and and generally mountain lion people hang in there. Like I, I don't notice this because my laptop is connected to power almost all the time. Both of my laptops are, so uh, I'm definitely a, b- a bad judge of that. And I think that's all I have for follow up today. No way. Yes way. I well, mean, that, that's because sure we've only more. been talking about mountain lion for. The last couple of years. Yeah, I didn't go through like my follow up. Like I should declare follow up bankruptcy in my mailbag. I still continue to read all the mails and I star the messages that I think would be useful for talking about at the show. And then normally what I do is go through my backlog since the previous week, looking at the message I've starred during the week and seeing which ones make the cut for follow up. But I haven't even had time to dig into that. So even though I've read all of those, uh, I don't know how many of them will make into the show. Some of them just might be woefully out of date at this point. So I've got a, a bunch of mini topics today, most of involving the news. And I think this is a reasonable time to do news-related things because what do we have? Uh, one, well, I guess we got two weeks. Two weeks until the big Apple uh, supposed announcement of something, which we all assume is going to be the next iPhone. And so now would be the time, and next week would be the time to talk about, take stock of what we think we're going to see next week. Yeah. But I have some other... Stories that I'm surprised other people didn't grab. Like right after we got off the air last week, the Samsung versus Apple verdict came in. I believe that was the timing. Like it was pretty much that day when we, after we finished the show. Yeah, it was immediate. As soon as we hit stop, I think it was released that that moment. Yeah, and I figured out. Well, then you know everyone else will get a chance to talk about it next week. And I think I'm caught up on all the shows. Did did you and Marco talk about Samsung versus Apple this week? Uh, I mean, it, it was it was a little bit the main the main discussion happened this week on Amplified uh, because Jim Dalrymple was a little he was a little upset. Was a little upset. Yeah, I, Amplified. I hope Jim isn't offended that I haven't managed to jam his show into my schedule, but I'm just over podcasted and like Amplified. I barely have time to like look at the backlog two weeks later and pick out individual shows that I think will be good. I'm not up to date on that show. 
Well, maybe it's better. So if I end up repeating everything he said, but I haven't listened to his episode. Uh, but I, I think I listened to Marco this week and I don't think he really talked about it. No, not much. Yeah. So I'll get a chance to get a crack at that. And we'll talk about, uh, and, you know, Mar- Marco stuff. didn't, I don't think he had that much to say about it just yet. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to speak for him, but you, do you have a question you would like to ask of him? No, no. To be um, discussed? I'm looking at other topics here. I got a little bit more on Twitter, which everyone is all tired of, but it's tiny. And then I have the thing that I bumped from last show. All right. So let's start here. Now, do we, should we, should we kick it off with a, a sponsor? Sure. That's a good idea. But traditionally at the end of the fall, we do that. Yeah. But this, this follow up was just surprisingly short. No one was expecting it, the follow up to be so brief. I mean, I'm full of surprises. You sure are. Textastic. This is a code editor. It's now available for the iPhone. Uh, they they came out with this thing for the iPad, which, of course, you think the iPad device that all of us geeks use to create things, why not come out with a really, really awesome code editor? Well, now they've they've got it for the iPhone, too, and it really, really is awesome. You could, you know, it doesn't matter where the code is. They can send it to you via email. You can, uh, you can use this thing to connect. They've got FTP, SFTP, Dropbox, WebDAV. And it is the coolest, coolest thing because it is a full-fledged editor. There are no compromises. It's got very fast syntax highlighting. It has support for over 80 programming languages, uh, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, PHP, uh, Ruby, Markdown, Objective-C, Python. I'm sure Perl is in there. I'm sure it's in there. You can even add your own TextMate-compatible uh, themes and syntax definitions. So if you have something that you already have set up in your precious TextMate, you can use it here. And what's, what's really amazing about this is finally there's a no compromise editor that you can put on your iPhone, wherever you go, you can have access to pretty much everything, any, any kind of code editing that you would want to do, you can do it. And what's really, really cool about this is that there's an offline preview mode for HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and Markdown. It's got an interactive search. Can you, you could do regular expressions. I mean, it, it's there. It's got it. It's all. So check it out. Textastic.com. They've got a special price. It's going to end in the next uh, maybe day or two. But it's $4.99. It's 50% off. They, they did it to time it with this week's show. So go check it out. Textastic.com. Samsung. Samsung. Samsung versus, Samsung versus Apple. Do I have that? SVA. In the link? I probably do. Yeah, that. you do. Samsung verdict is in. One billion loss for Samsung. Linked to some site, ours, something. Yeah. Uh, so the I, the reason I, I realize I don't really have that much to say about this trial is because we already had three whole shows talking about patents. And this case was partially... Uh, substantially about patents we did episode 67 a pill that helps with whatever episode 68 patent (laughs) hands and episode 69 sport of kings all revolved much to the chagrin (laughs) of some people around patents uh so if you want to hear more than you ever wanted to know about my opinion on patents listen to those three episodes but the some of it is that i don't think patents should be uh should be a thing that exists for anything uh and at the fringes, I get less sure, but certainly I think in the technology realm and the software realm, the patents should not exist. So here we have a case where, uh, at least partially, Apple is uh, basing its case on the idea that Samsung has infringed on many of its patents, on patents on things like, what are the, pa- the three main patents in there? One of them was like the scroll bouncing. When you get to the end of a scrollable region, it does the little bounce animation. 
Uh, do you remember what the other patents were? Mm, is it in this article here? I'm sure I can dig them up while we yeah. talk about it. Probably. Uh, now, why don't I have that article open? I should, but I don't. The one about the jury, where they return the verdict? Yeah. That's in the that's show notes. You put it in the show notes yourself? I know. I know. I didn't have it open in a tab. Uh, anyway, that's the type of patent that it was. Uh, patents for things that I personally do not think should be patentable at all. I don't think patents should exist at all in the technology realm or in the software render in the user interface realm or anything like that. And in general, I don't think patents should exist at all. Uh, and so you may think I'm crazy. Again, refer to those three shows where we went into it in painful detail. Feel free to disagree with me. But as someone who feels that way about patents, how am I supposed to feel about a case uh, revolving around patents? Now, the reaction, I think, of a lot of Apple fans is mostly they're happy that Apple won because they look at the Samsung products and think Samsung ripped them off. And it seems like justice that someone who makes a copycat product should not get away with it. Right. That's kind of, you know, the non-legal, just generally gut feeling that we all have. Uh, I would concur that Samsung's products are obviously Apple ripoffs. And we all say that like these are Apple ripoffs. Like, what do we mean by ripoff? That's not a that's not a legal term, uh, but it's kind of one of those things where you, when you say ripoff, you mean not just that it like, you know, takes the good ideas from there's other ways to phrase it that seem less uh, aggressive, like inspired by or learned the lessons of or takes good ideas of or was created in a post whatever world. Those are all different ways to phrase similar things. When we say ripoff, we feel like they've done all of those things that I just said, but to such a degree that that uh, that like it's embarrassing. Like, I mean, you look at their, their little dock connector and like, they're, you know, right. they're, they're the things on the screen down to the individual icons, their individual applications. You know, it's just every single thing. It's just a complete copy. It's just really it's just it's embarrassing for them. And we feel it's unjustified. And I share that feeling like that. I, the, here's the word that I would use to describe it. What Samsung has done with their hardware and software interface for their phones. It's dishonorable. That's that's the word that I would use. And that's why we feel like Samsung is the bad guy here, because what they've done is dishonorable. It's not they should not be proud of this. If you worked for Samsung, you should not feel proud of this product that you've made. And it's a shame because I think what they've done technologically and everything like their phone hardware is fairly impressive, as would as befits a company that makes the, the system on a chips for Apple's own hardware. Like they're not slouches in this area technologically. They're able to do some pretty amazing things like uh, you can quibble with their choices about making these gigantic phones that seem too big or whatever. But technology wise, they're doing well. But then they got to go and copy all these stupid, irrelevant details from Apple stuff. Right. So I definitely feel that Samsung has something to be ashamed of. And what they have done is not an honorable thing. Right. But the question is, is what they've done illegal? There are plenty of dishonorable things that you can do that are entirely legal. I think, in fact, that's what I think the entire legal profession is built on. <laughs> you know, like legal is not the same as moral or virtuous and honorable is even a higher bar. It's not like immoral or, or it's not even morals or ethics. It's just kind of like, is it honorable? Right. Uh, and for the legality aspect, I think, first of all, obviously all the patents, I think Apple should not be able to sue anybody over any of those. I think patents shouldn't exist. I think Apple shouldn't have them. I think they have no particular right to any of these things, whether they came up with them first or not. You don't just because you come up with a good idea doesn't mean you own it and you can make other people pay money for it. I totally oppose that entire system. So obviously, I think, you know, if I snap my fingers and patents don't exist, that is gone. But this still remains one more issue that was brought up in the trial. And that's the idea of trade dress, or which I think is a legal term, but I don't really know what it means. But I'm just going to give my uh, layman's definition. It's basically you 
you can't make a product that tricks a consumer into thinking it's a different product. Now, someone who's like libertarian or completely laissez-faire would say, sure, let them try to trick people like that. The market will sort it out. I, I do not believe in that. I think if, if you're making a product that intentionally or otherwise is tricking people into thinking that it is another product, then that, that's too similar. Like that's different from like, should you be allowed to copy bounce scrolling? Sure, go ahead. Like no one's going to be confused because your phone has bounce scrolling as an iPhone. But if you copy every single friggin' aspect down to like the layout of the store, the shape and size of the connectors, the, the on-screen, like your recording application shows a big microphone, just like Apple's does. All your icons are the same. Your home screen is the same. And I think in the trial, one of the things they brought up was like one of the reasons, maybe this wasn't related to the trial, it was just news stories. But one of the reasons that people were returning Samsung products is they'd get them home and they would say, I thought this was that thing I heard about iPhone, iPad or whatever. Like it looked like that in the store that, that people don't know, like that it's not made by Apple. Maybe they don't know the iPhone or iPad name, but they basically were, were tricked into getting something there. I wouldn't say trick, like they were confused by the product. They thought they were getting something that they weren't and they ended up returning it. Right. And you have to take into consideration. I just want to point out that there are a whole lot of places where you go and the salespeople, not obviously the Apple store, but it maybe at the Verizon store, where the salespeople are going to, ah, you don't really want that. This one does all the same stuff. It's better. And maybe they went in wanting an iPhone, and instead they came out with something else that's running Android. Or, yeah, I mean, you know, they're Samsung at the whim of, of the salespeople. And, you like know, you, you, John, would never have that problem, and I suspect a lot of our listeners are never going to have that problem. I right. suspect, and, because they're, you know, they're, whether, whether they use a Samsung device, Android device, who cares? They're going to know the difference because they're going to research it ahead of time. But I think it, it, there really are a lot of people who go in and they think they want an iPhone. Maybe they're not sure. And then they wind up with something else. Yeah, and, and, and they say, it looks well, it looks the same. And I don't think it's a matter of intention. Like, I don't think for the legality of that, again, I'm, I'm now making up my own legal system. That's nothing to do with the actual trial, but we're just talking fantasy world here. <laughs> uh, if, if I made the rules, I would say you wouldn't have to prove that Samsung was intentionally trying to deceive people. I think you should only have to prove that people are confused and that it's reasonable for them to be confused because look at how similar these are in all sorts of irrelevant details. Like there's no reason you have to use the exact same freaking icon as Apple for all these things. There's no reason that you have to make your connector look exactly the same. Like you could put them side by side if it wasn't for the Samsung logo and the fact that one is black, they would you would think they were compatible with each other, right? Uh, that is something that Samsung I, I feel is justified for them losing a court case over. But I but the whole rest of the case and revolving around the patents and everything, I think is total BS. And I don't blame Apple really for pursuing it because that's the legal system we have. It's a crappy legal system, but we've talked about this before. Big companies amass these stupid patents and they, you know, they use them to protect themselves. It's just in this case, Apple is using this tool, which I think that could also be considerable, considered dishonorable. Like they know they have this legal tool they feel they've been wrong by Samsung, and I believe they have been wrong. And so they use this incredibly powerful, far-reaching legal tool of patents, which I think are totally bogus. They use that in part to help them win a tremendous verdict against Samsung, right? If they just had to go in there against trade dress, like they did that with the iMac when people were making iMac clones, I don't think patents were part of the iMac trade dress lawsuit, so they still won them, right? But it's like, why take chances? Look, we've got these patents in our back pocket. Why don't we smash them to death with those? Oh, and by the way, throw in the trade dress stuff and get a billion dollars out of it. Uh, so I think the use of patents is slightly dishonorable on Apple's part, but not as dishonorable as Samsung making these these clone products. Uh, but it, it's just bad all around. Like, I wasn't rooting for Samsung. I wasn't rooting for Apple. I assumed that Apple would win, and they did because they have super dumb patents, right? Uh, I think it's bad for everybody. I think it's bad for consumers that 
you can't make something with bounce of scroll. People are like, well, what if you use like glowing like Android does? And then you can just tell there's more because when you hit the end, the bottom glows. Why should I have to make up something different? Apple doesn't should not own that idea. Like it's not that I don't I don't think that's useful for anybody. I think it's better for the for the world if those ideas can be can be used by other companies. Uh, it's not better for the world, I think, if you can make exact clone products that that confuse customers. Uh, so that's where I come down on Samsung versus Apple. I think it's everybody loses. It's depressing. I think the verdict went the right way, even if the patents weren't involved. And just it's it's not fun. And I don't know what was Jim mad about. Was he mad because basically they're, they're you know Samsung is ripping off Apple? Well, I mean he's I just I think he's mad because the some people have been saying that this is going to start. And again, I don't want to speak for him. And in the latest episode of Amplified, he he really does go into it. But uh, I think he feels that there there were people who are suggesting that the court results are going to that yes, I mean he you know it's clear that Samsung did, but that that people who are saying this is going to stifle innovation, this is going to kill people's ability to innovate and his his stance on it if i'm hopefully doing justice to his point was simply no it's not just actually go and innovate just actually go and do something that is truly different and special and unique and do that go do that yeah and if you if you actually do that then you'll be innovating and everyone will be fine there'll be no lawsuit if I had to rebut that, I would say the innovation doesn't necessarily always mean doing something new. In fact, I would say it, it, it rarely means doing something entirely new, right? Uh, it's if you spend your time trying to think up a non-patent infringing way to redo something that is a perfectly good solution for, like bounce scrolling, that like people like and are used to and is a good idea, but you've got to spend your time coming up with a non-infringing alternative, that's time you can't spend coming up with new ideas, first of all. And second of all, a lot of innovation is build on all stand on the shoulders of giants build on all the ideas of your predecessors but then you know take twist it in a new direction or add something they never thought of or like increase something by an order of magnitude on top of everything that came before uh so uh, the the innovation arguments with like you know you're saying they can't do something different that's what we want them to do we want them to do something different but i think that's missing the forest for the trees a little bit because it that's not how innovation works i it pains me to think of people having to come up not being able to use a multi finger pinch to pinch to zoom or bounce scrolling or other things that are just like any I think everyone should be able to use and they're wasting their time trying to come up with non infringing alternatives. And by the way, a lot of those non infringing alternatives are worse. And it's like, why can't they come up with better non infringing alternatives? Innovate everywhere. Well, that's not what Apple did. That's not what anybody does. Everybody built on what came before. Everybody does. And not being able to do that hurts everybody because you get crappier products because people you spend more of your time worrying about, you know, the, the lawsuits and everything like that. But you have to invent new things when there's perfectly good alternatives. And it's and it's like arbitrary because some things you can build on top of because they didn't happen to be patented or certain case laws worked out that you can use them. But other things you can't. I mean, who said mentioned that uh, floating pallets were patented at one point and it just was a big mess in the software industry because everyone wants to use floating pallets. It's like an obvious idea. But like, oh, no, this person owns floating pallets. You have to pay them for this awesome idea they came up with once. And God knows who that person or corporation is. That just that. When they say that stifles innovation, it's like, why don't they come up with something better than floating pallets? Isn't that even more awesome innovation? That's not how I think innovation works all the time. Uh, So while I agree that this is not like this is just par for the course, this is not some amazing, you know, as as the article said, this is a reaffirmation of an existing system. We have the existing U.S. patent system. It already is dumb. This will not produce a steep decline in in the quality of products because we're already there. I'm, you know, I, I don't think this is going to make things take a nosedive. I think it's just continuing the current way things are. And I think the current way things are is crappy. And so we, they will continue to be crappier. Uh, I don't like it. 
unlike it on one bit and any side. Let's move on to cheerier topics. Yeah, something uh, happier. The next iPhone. Uh, the, the, the meta point on this, and I'm also going to talk about the possible next iPad as well, because Marco had a post on that, which he conveniently makes right before my show on Friday. Thank you, Marco. Uh, it's, part of, uh, it's part of being in the, the, uh, the world of blogging. You become grist for the mill. <laughs> so remember when Apple, like Tim Cook said that Apple was going to double down on secrecy? Yeah, double down. Yeah. Times two. It, at the same time they are trying to double down on secrecy, it seems like their profits and volume and revenue or everything is doubling up or whatever the, whatever the opposite of doubling down <laughs> is. So as fast as they can race to lock things down, they just, they're just selling more product and involving more people. And, and you know, it's, it's it, the upshot is that it seems like we know everything about the iPhone, the next iPhone. We knew a lot about the iPhone 4. Like a lot of that stuff leaked too. But the iPhone 5, man, we've just been seeing leaks forever and ever. And again, we don't know if these are real or blah, blah, blah. But at a certain point, like, we just feel like we've got its number now. It's like we don't, don't even bother watching the, the presentation because we know everything about the, iPhone, the next iPhone's coming out. I keep wanting to call it the iPhone 5. I, I probably will. People complain. It's not. Why are you calling it the iPhone 5? iPhone 5 doesn't mean it's the fifth iPhone. I can count iPhones. I know it's not the fifth one. iPhone 5 is just... You know, they use four for the four and four S and this is like the next generation model. So assuming they were going to use numbers at all, which is certainly not guaranteed, uh, they might use five or they might use no number. But when I say iPhone five, everyone knows I'm talking about the next major iPhone after the four and four S. So don't get on my case about iPhone five. It makes sense to me. It's a perfectly valid way to discuss it, because as I've said on past shows, writing and speaking is about communication. And if you know exactly what I'm talking about, you know it so well that you can refute what I mean is like, I know exactly what you mean. And here's why five does not apply to that phone, because you mean exactly this phone. And therefore, it's not the fifth phone and blah, blah, blah. Well, obviously, if I successfully communicated to you which phone I'm talking about, because you know exactly how to rebut my use of the word five, I've successfully communicated my idea to you. So anyway, about the iPhone five. Uh, <laughs> and in tech has a good article called preparing for the next iPhone rumors analyzed, which I, I linked to a bunch of other articles as well. But uh, they did a great job of just summarizing it. So Go through the article. It's only a couple pages. He goes through all the rumors, the different parts. Like, it seems like he could build you an iPhone 5 right now. He knows exactly what's going to be in. And we've talked about this so much in the show. Taller screens that have wider. Remember those rumors from way back yep, when? Yep. Uh, different connector. The we, you know, I've been complaining about the iPod connector, uh, the, uh, the dock connector for a long time. And then there was rumors of a new connector floating around. We didn't know what to think of it. Uh, you know uh, what? The one thing that occurred to me, I forget if, and I know you're on a roll here, but if the dock connector changes for the iPhone, it seems logical that it will change for the iPad and potentially all of the other devices down the road too, right? Certainly, yeah, that's what's going to happen. But the question is when? Does it happen now? Does it happen next year? Do they wait for the next revision? Those, those are all the questions. But it's not like it's uh, there, you know, the connector will be everywhere. Once, and you, was, Assuming it's real. But it makes sense then that once the connector comes out on the iPhone, that it's now all devices that obviously they wouldn't go from a new connector to an old connector on, on an iPhone again, but it pretty much is going to say, this is our new connector where you're going to start seeing it everywhere going forward from now on. Your Whether money's they say on that. that or not, we assume it to be the case. I mean, yeah. it, with any type of connector like this, even remember the dock connector went through some revisions as well, where they took, got rid of the hooks and stuff. See, this, this connector may be revised and look at MagSafe where they had to go to MagSafe two to, to get a thinner form factor. Like, Revisions happen, so this, if this is true, will be the very first version of this connector, so I wouldn't be surprised if there's some slight revisions. Uh, but so here, here's the summary of Anantech's rumor roundup. Right. Uh, he assumes, like, so we've all seen the pictures of the case 
uh, with the metal back and the, the glass region on top and bottom, right? Uh, and he he takes that as as a valid thing that's going to be there. Uh, machined out of a single piece of metal, you can see the little machining marks where they'd picked the you know the the CNC tool, you know, ground out from a solid piece of aluminum or whatever material it is. Uh, the shape of this tub shaped case. It's going to have a a dual uh, you know Cortex A9 system on a chip built on 32 nanometer process like the like the revised uh, 32 nanometer uh, A5X or not A5X uh, revised 32 nanometer uh, which one is it in the iPad 2? I'm losing track of things. They 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 did a die shrink and some iPad 2s come with the die shrink version and some don't. I'm assuming that now if you were to buy one more come with the shrunk version than not. Uh, so, and there are other links that I've linked to that I think Apple is going to call this an A6. Again, A5, A4, A6, A5X, those are all just terms Apple makes up. They can call whatever the hell they want an A6. It makes sense that for the iPhone 5, the next generation iPhone, they would call the chip in at the A6, even though it's got the same kind of cores as the A5 and the A5X. It would just be revised in some other way, higher clocked or whatever. Uh, sim- similar GPU. Again, the GPU is less of an issue because they don't have to use the big honking uh, GPU, uh, quad-core GPU they have in, in, the, in the iPad 3 because the iPhone doesn't have that many pixels. Even with the taller screen, it's just got like 20% more pixels. It's not like they're you know, quadrupling the number of pixels like they did on the, the iPad 2 to 3. So it can get away with having a, a less, you know, fewer cores in its GPU, a less powerful GPU, and then maybe they can clock it a little bit higher because of the, uh, the die shrink. Uh, LTE... Uh, and thinks that's a given. I think we all agree. He thinks that it will not have NFC, near field communication. That's basically the thing where you wave your phone in front of something and it, uh, you know, receives a signal. So you can, you know, use it to pay for things and, and stuff like that without having to scan a QR code or do any sort of Bluetooth thing or do something over Wi-Fi or through an app. NFC is just you wave your thing near it. He thinks that won't be in there simply because there's not enough room for an NFC antenna in the radio transparent regions of the case. Uh, because the whole back of it is metal and you can't really put an NFC behind that because it won't work very well. And there's not room. The NFC antennas tend to be larger because the wavelength is lo- is bigger. So you can't make a tiny little NFC antenna that performs well. You could get one in there, but it would you'd have to like line it up exactly. And so that, that's what he's basing on. No NFC. He says because if they really want to do a good job with NFC, they'd have to make the antenna bigger. And there's just no room for it. Um, I, I buy that theory. Especially if what he says is true, that if they did put a little NFC antenna in the uh, top or bottom glass regions, that you'd have to like line it up just so. Like you couldn't just wave your phone in front of it. You'd have to get it lined in a particular way. That would nah, No one wants so, that. Yeah, that's not an, a very Apple-like experience, as he points no, out. No. Uh, and as he points out in the conclusion, for the iPhone in particular, which is Apple's cash cow, it is now like the Microsoft Windows of Apple or the Windows and Office combined of Apple. Like that makes them a tremendous amount of money. It's big growth business. Well, the iPad is on a similar trajectory, but it's not quite there yet. But in all these regions, Apple is pretty conservative in in uh, technology uh, selection. It doesn't go for like, oh, we can we found somebody who can build us a 20 nanometer system on a chip. Let's just push aggressively for that because they need to make a gazillion of these things. They do not want to be constrained because they can't get enough of these chips. It's already hard enough for them. There's already rumors of like the people doing the display are having trouble because this display uh, supposedly incorporates the touch sensor inside the display instead of having it on top of it. Again, making it thinner. Remember when they like fuse the display to the glass to not have a display and then glass on top to right. make it thinner? Well, now they're taking the touch sensor and smushing it into that sandwich, too. It's all just to make things thinner. And apparently Sharp is having some yield problems with that. But Apple being Apple run by Tim Cook, they, they apparently have two other companies making the screens for them. Right. But all this stuff is they 
They don't want the very best you can possibly get. Uh, that's why, you know, the 4S didn't have LTE. Uh, because, like, they could get them, but they'd be... Uh, they would take too much battery life, and it, they might be hot. And it's just like, well, you know, let's be conservative. Let's get something that we know we can make a million of. Uh, you know, that's why everyone thinks this will be a 32 nanometer chip, because they did 32 nanometer chips in the uh, the, the current Apple TV and in some versions of the iPad 2 to sort of like field test that that that, uh, that process. And so now they should be really cranking on 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 that process to make these processors. So we're ready ready to go into full volume for production after auditioning that chip with these other two lower volume products. Uh, it it'll seems to fit together and so I, I think he's right that i don't expect anything amazing like it, that a processor made on a smaller process than anyone else clocked higher than anyone else with more ram than anyone else that's not the way apple tends to roll because they they wouldn't be able to get the volumes in those parts that's one of the advantages that the small manufacturers have like if you are i don't know htc or some other company that you know you're not going to sell a gazillion of these right because you're just going to be one small piece of the android pie for this device, maybe you can go with something that's like a little bit faster or has a little bit more memory or is on a smaller process because you don't need that many you don't need that many chips. But Apple needs a lot of chips and it needs them fast uh, and it wants to not have any surprises. So basically, if you read that Anatech article, I completely believe that everything they said there, that's going to be the next iPhone. Uh, so if you want a preview of it, write down to pictures of what the thing is going to look like. There, there's very little in there that I have doubts about. Uh, and as for the uh, the connector, let's see if I have a picture of that somewhere up here. Yeah, so th this is the most interesting thing in this uh, 9 to 5 Mac story is a picture. Finally, well, they got pictures of the, the, the motherboards with the supposed A6 on them. You know, the, the whole nine yards. Like, you, you, it, this is like the iFixit article before the thing even came out. They've got all the pieces, uh, how they're going to fit together, plus the finished thing. But what they have, which I hadn't seen before, finally is a picture of the new supposed connector next to something for size comparison. Right. Because they've been publishing pictures of this connector for, what, months now? Uh, and But they always showed it just by itself, and it's hard to get a feel for how big the thing is. So now they're holding it up next to a regular USB, you know, one, two, or three connector, and you can see how small it is. It looks, I don't know, what, what would you say that connector looks like? So you're looking at the picture? Yeah. What would you say? Like, what does that remi if you remind you of? Like, if you saw that, found that in, in a bin of cables and you pulled it out, and you'd be like, what is this? Yeah, is a <laughs> it doesn't, almost like a SIM card, maybe. Yeah, it's, it's weird. There's no, there's no other connector that looks like that. Yeah, maybe I mean, you would think it's like a cell phone charging cable or something. Yeah, kind of, but because it, it, it almost reminds you like uh, of the old, like an old uh, Nintendo cartridge or something. You know how that used to have the little exposed circuit board with little lines on it? Yeah, I forget if we talked about it on other show, but briefly, the design, it's like maybe a little bit more than half the width of a USB connector. Maybe, uh, yeah. And then for thickness, it is very thin, much thinner than a USB connector. And the design has uh, eight, is it eight little contacts there? I think it's, it has eight little gold contacts, little strips, you know, as little lines next to each other on both sides. The, the connector is completely symmetrical, so uh, the, with the contacts on both sides, I think you can put it in either way. It, no, it absolutely you can. And this is the thing when you this is the kind of thing when you see this connector, you're like, well, of course that's what they should do. They should have been doing it like this all along. Yeah, that's what I was saying. All my connectors, you, even, like, you can't believe you're making a, you know a, the USB connector, which is externally symmetrical but a, internally asymmetrical, and you know that you're going to sell a gajillion of these things. And you're going to doom people <laughs> for for a decade or two decades to be have to try three times to get every one of their freaking plugs in. I do not <laughs> like it, right? And I don't like the iPod connector because it's externally asymmetrical, but in a way that's very difficult to see unless you have really sharp eyes. 
and you're always looking at where the little logo is to try to figure out which way it goes in. And it's a terrible connector with a little crunch of all the pins. And it's very parallel. It's like serial interfaces. They're the future. They're smaller. They're better. Let's go with that. Uh, so that that's this connector, which we've seen all over the place. Again, we at this point, we all just assume it's real. Uh, I, I'm on board with that. I'm happy that it's real if it's real because uh, it, it fulfills my criteria. You can't put it in the wrong way. It doesn't seem like it seems like it's going to have a better experience of putting it in. Like it's going to be a nice solid thunk in there. I don't know if there's any magnets involved. Uh, I can't really tell, but it seems like it'll be a, a good experience of plugging it in. I do worry a little bit if friction is the only thing holding it in, whether it might be like a type of thing that wiggles loose more than the current dock connector does, because the current one has much more surface area and much more friction. But that's something that Apple can work on and revise. I'm assuming they'll, they'll get the kinks worked out of it. And so it's got the little little eight contacts, and then the the metal body of it is the ninth contact, which is the ground, I believe, according to all the rumors. And so this is the nine-pin connector, the rumored nine-pin connector. And all the little cases we've seen have the little hole for this connector on the bottom. It's much smaller than the dock connector. It makes more room inside the case, so blah, blah, blah. You know, headphone port on the bottom, by the way. We talked about that before. That's also in all the things. And uh, I, I got a last-minute piece of follow-up here from Richard Stelling, who uh, contacted me on app.net, believe it or not. And did a blog post that he entitled Thunderbolt Light. And in this blog post, first he admits up front that he's not a hardware guy and he's just thinking out loud here. But he pulled the pinouts for Thunderbolt from Wikipedia. And then and there's like 20 pins in in, in a Thunderbolt thing. And then he said, uh, what if we cross off all the redundant grounds and cross off half of the high speed transmit and receive lines? We end up with. A nine pin connector, which just has ground power and then a low speed, high speed transmit. And, you know, like, so, so what if you had like a Thunderbolt light that w- was half the speed of regular Thunderbolt and you could do it in nine pins? Uh, I would say this is very unlikely. <laughs> very, very unlikely uh, for a couple of reasons. First, the chipsets that support Thunderbolt, the current crop of them, are big, expensive, and immature. They're built on a, a not cutting edge process technology they cost a lot of money because they're low volume and they're new and they're pretty darn big physically like if you look at the size of the thunderbolt connector that comes out of my thunderbolt monitor that is big it does not look like the picture that we just saw there second there's chips in the cable remember there's no chips in this little cable that we're seeing here so it doesn't look like it's thunderbolt uh but most importantly the system on chips that are inside these things tend to support usb and thunderbolt not so much now apple does sort of custom order its system on a chip saying exactly what it wants in them. But I don't think Thunderbolt interface or Thunderbolt Lite or any variant of it is an option for them. Like that would be a tall order to go to your system on a chip vendor, who, by the way, you're suing in court and are about to win a billion dollars from to say, <laughs> could you put on the chip? We need like we need the G- this GPU and this much uh, this kind of memory interface with this many channels. And we want, you know, the, the CPU should clock up to this. We want a USB interface and Bluetooth. And could you put like a made-up, half-bastardized version of Thunderbolt in there. And by the way, I think a lot of those Thunderbolt grounds are not put in there for their health. It's sometimes redundant grounds. I mean, sometimes they're just grounded because they, have, you know, the pin is reserved for future use or whatever. But uh, with high-speed buses and analog electronics, a lot of the redundancy in there is there for a reason. So I, I seriously do not think that there is Thunderbolt light in these things. It makes much more sense that this 9-pin connector would basically be Apple's weird proprietary connector but it really really ends up speaking something close to USB 2 or 3, uh, with USB 3 being the, the more attractive scenario because the data rates will be better. But uh, this all gets back to the idea of, like, why are we even plugging in our iPhones anymore at all? Because they have over-the-air updates of the OS. They do Wi-Fi syncing. 
you plug it in to charge it. And I guess you could plug it in if you wanted to do something like with video out and stuff like that. But even that you've got airplay. It makes sense for the connector to be minimized in both importance and size. Uh, but by the same token, this is obviously not just a charging connector. Like Maybe it's just it's wireless everything and all this thing does is charge because the charging connector does not need nine pins. Uh, so right now I'm going with the theory that there's some sort of USB wire protocol because the system on a chip's already or support something like that or it's easy to support it. And, uh, and Thunderbolt Lite seems unlikely. But I did want to put that in there because if he turns out to be right, if the, this, the new iPhone is unveiled and they say, and we're using an amazing, you know, a miniature version of Thunderbolt. Isn't that amazing? Then Richard Stelling, remember that name. You heard it here first. He's the one who came up with this brilliant idea, but I think he's wrong. And speaking of future hardware, the next up is the iPad mini. Oh, yeah, we get, well, we get to talk. That's a big topic. Let's do our second sponsor. Because we'll, right, we'll, we could talk. We can talk about that thing for a long time, I think. We'll see. Squarespace.com. It's everything you need to make an amazing website. Fully hosted, completely managed environment. This is the thing. Listen, you're going to save time with this. That's the, that's the reason I'm telling you about it. That's the reason that they made it. You go to squarespace.com. You sign up. You use the code Dan sent me eight. And I'll give you a hint as to what next month's code is going to be if you try this in more than a day from now. But Dan sent me and then the number eight. Get 10% off. This is the thing with Squarespace. Squarespace is going to save you a bunch of time. You go in there. You don't have to worry about hosting it. You don't have to worry about scaling it. You don't have to worry about if you want to link to another website and they have images and you want to use a thumbnail of that image. It's a one-step deal. You don't have to download the image, crop it, resize it, upload it to your server. None of that madness. It, it, you look at the old way we used to blog, the old way we used to create linked, uh, you know, links for your websites and, and write articles. It's, it's just history. It's gone. They get the best WYSIWYG editor. You don't like that? Use Markdown. And all of these things are built into it. They've thought through every single possible scenario. And it, it really is great. It's a joy to use it. And uh, we use it on the 5x5 blog. I use it on Big Week. Merlin's using it for a billion different things. And you know what? I know designers and photographers who are using this to power their sites. And those sites are completely different from the kind of stuff that I do. And yet, we're all using Squarespace. So go check it out. Dan Send Me 8 gets you 10% off. You sign up for a year. You get 20% off and a free domain. Two years, you get 25% off and a free domain. And that's cumulative. You can add Dan Sent Me 8 to any of those and get 10% more off. Go check them out. Special URL to support the show. Squarespace.com slash 5x5. Go there now. Check it out. Support the show. Hopefully, you'll get yourself set up with something awesome. iPad Junior. Actually, one last bit on the Thunderbolt. So someone in the chat room uh, pointed out that uh, Anand Tech has an article called Why Thunderbolt Won't Come to the iPhone Anytime Soon, which is from January of this year. I, maybe I had read this back then and forgot about it, but I put it in the show notes. Uh, and there's yet more reasons why Thunderbolt is not even, you know, this talks about Thunderbolt itself. But, you know, the idea of a Thunderbolt Lite, like a new standard that Apple's coming up with just for its phones, it, it just doesn't make any sense yeah. uh, for many reasons. So feel free to read yet more reasons than Anand Tech article. Um, so predicting the iPad mini internals is the title of Marco's post here. Uh, and he said this was spurred by him getting some new, uh, model identifiers in, uh, Instapaper's device stats. He, he gathers statistics about what the, I don't know what the, you call these things. So they called we, nerds all know what they are. It's the thing where it's like a name 
and then no space, and then a number, and then a comma, and yeah, another like, number. Like uh, like iPhone 5, comma, 1. Right. And then same thing for the Macs. You go to iMac, you know, 7, comma, 3 or whatever. Right. And Apple doesn't really have a rhyme or reason for these things. In general, like the new major revision of a model will increase the first number, and then minor revisions will increase the second number or whatever. In, in so the chat see, room, they're saying that they're either device identifiers or model identifiers. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the, practically speaking, it's the way that you unambiguously identify your computer. So, for example, when I go to buy a RAM, right, I have to remember that I, I can remember that I have a Mac Pro early 2008 quad core. Like, this is the English names that Apple uses in its support documents. And that's a mouthful and easy to get confused about early versus late versus quad core, single, whatever, like... It's much easier to just find out what your device identifier is. If you have, you know, Mac Pro four comma one, you just yeah. go. And right how do you to, find you know, that out? You just launch system information, which is an application, and uh, it'll have at the top model name. It'll say what it is: MacBook Pro model identifier, MacBook Pro ten comma one. Well, that's the Retina. Uh, so if you're buying your RAM, which you can't do for this one anyway, right. <laughs> uh, right. but in theory, and that's because there there are all these sort of canonical terms for well, this is a late two thousand, you know, but well. That's not what it's really called. That's not what Apple thinks of it as. And this is the closest thing we can get to to a, a universally understood and accepted term for a model. Yeah. And they're short. And like they're short and easily understandable. And if you go to a good vendor, like their website will list this thing in it. So you, you'll know you're getting the right RAM. You won't have to have any guesswork. And by the way, the easy way to get to that is go Apple menu. This is if you, what you do if you're talking to your, someone over the phone is going to say your mom, but equal, equal time or your dad. Apple menu about this Mac. And then there's a more info button in the in the window that comes up. Click more info and that will launch the application that you just described. And then you'll be able to see this information. Uh, so he's seeing iPad 2,5 and iPad 2,6 numbers which did not exist before. And he's speculating that what these are are the, you know, the new smaller iPad. Uh, and then he speculates about what the internals are. So there's, there's much speculation on top of it. So first is, is the idea that these model numbers correspond to new uh, to smaller iPads and not to simply revised versions of the iPad 2, which readers have written him in to offer theories for. But I don't, I don't think it's important whether these numbers correspond to new revised iPads 2s or the miniature iPads. We all think there's a miniature iPad coming, although not in September, the September 12th event probably. But uh, sometime in our future, we'll have them and whatever their model numbers are. Marco then speculates about the internals and he thinks that they're going to end up having the uh, the die shrunk version of the, the the chip that was in the original iPad 2. Uh, what? I keep getting confused about A4 versus A5. It's A5, right? iPad 2 has the A5. as a 45 nanometer A5 originally and now they have a 32 nanometer one. Again, in some iPad 2s you get this one, uh, but you're not guaranteed to get it. Uh, I think it was only in the 16, 16 gigabyte Wi-Fi iPad. But I think if you were, at least early on, if you were to get the 16 gigabyte Wi-Fi iPad 2, you weren't still guaranteed to get the die trunk version. You might still get some of the old ones. Uh, but maybe that was just a transitional period. Uh, so he thinks that's what it will be. It'll basically be that die trunk uh, processor, basically the iPad 2's internals with a 1024 by 768 screen, but it won't be 10 inches or 9.7. It'll be, you know, 8 or something. Uh and that that will be the iPad Mini. Basically, it's an iPad Two. Uh, with I, I, he didn't mention this, but I'm assuming he's saying probably the same, same or similar camera. Obviously, a smaller battery, but you can get away with having a smaller battery because the screen isn't as big, and uh, this is a more power efficient uh, CPU anyway. This all makes sense to me because the main feature of this iPad Mini, assuming it is released, as I said on past shows, is the price. That is the most important feature of this product is the price. Uh, it has to be cheaper. 
It doesn't have to be dramatically cheaper. It just has to be cheaper. Well, because- you remember the, the shocking announcement of the iPad price. And that is something I feel they, need, they know they need to do that again. And what's the best way to shut down the competition? Well, you could say by having an amazing product. We already expect that from Apple. We already right. know we're getting that from Apple. It better be awesome, of course. How else can they do it? And you, you nailed it. I mean, it's got, it's, got to be, it's got to be cheaper, noticeably cheaper. Yeah, get, get people who are not going to go into that store and walk out with a $400, $500 piece of glass they can drop on the, on the ground. Maybe they'll walk out with a $250 one for $250 or maybe even 200 if Apple goes nuts with really, you know, if they, if they, this thing comes out at $200, even if it's just for the entry level, really crappy, no one's ever actually going to buy this model model. That's going to really hurt. That's going to really, I mean, can you imagine you can get a, the equivalent of an iPad two in a smaller, thinner, lighter case, or you can get a Kindle fire for $200. Obviously Kindle, the new Kindle fire is going to come out too. And I'm assuming they're, they're going to drop price too. So it's just, you know, good old competition, but we all assume it's going to be like 250 or something like that. But this, this is a lower cost device. This is how you get people to go home with an iPad who are currently not ever going to spend the amount of money that any of the current iPad models cost. And because Apple can't bring the price down that much on these big 9.7 inch ones, it's got to go smaller. Uh, and the second thing I totally subscribe to that I've heard Gruber talk about it and a lot of other people is that you shouldn't think of this as the cheap, crappy iPad. Although, again, I think the price is the most important point. You should think of it as the thinner, lighter, like, you know, featherweight super convenient super portable ipad and that's why it may may appeal to to people who have plenty of money to buy a big ipad or maybe they already own a bunch of big ipads like i have an ipad 3 uh, and an ipad 2 and i'm interested in this smaller thing because it's smaller and thinner and lighter and it runs ipad applications which i like and it'll be usable in contexts where the big ones aren't Uh, you know it's more comfortable to hold in a single hand maybe maybe for for me i was just discussing this yesterday i've I tend to, so I have like next to my bedside, I've got like the iPad three and my iPod touch. And when it comes time to read something, sometimes I choose the iPod touch to read on, especially fiction and stuff rather than the, the, the big iPad. Like, why would you ever choose the smaller screen? They're right there in front of you. You just got to reach over and pick which one you want to read on. So, and, and the reason I choose the smaller one sometimes is because when I'm sort of like, you know, leaning back against pillows and, and sitting in bed with my knees up, the distance that my eyes have to go from looking at the top of the page to the bottom like, I don't want to have to move my eyes down a lot. I don't want to have, want to, have to move my head up and down as I go through pages. If you're reading a novel going, you know, reading from top to bottom, read from top to bottom. That angle, I want to be narrower between the top and the bottom. And yeah, I could just move the big iPad farther away from me. But sometimes it's more convenient because of the way I'm sitting and everything to just use the smaller iPod. And I think a eight inch model would probably split the difference, not being so small and constraining, but also not requiring that much head movement to go from top to bottom. But anyway, there's lots of interesting reasons why this device could be attractive. Uh, and I don't think Apple will sell it as the now get into an iPad more cheaply than ever. I mean, they may go with that just because they want to get people to understand that this costs less money than the other one. But I think it will be cool and appealing because it will be thin and light and presumably have really good battery life because it's not going to have, according to the rumors, a retina display. It'll just be 1024 by 768. And the density will be about the same as an iPhone 3G. So it's not big and chunky like a 9.7 inch screen at the same res. But I think it's very easy to sell this as an attractive, interesting new product, uh, not just as like a crappy, cheaper thing like the, you know, oh, well, the iPad 3 is out, but we're still selling the iPad 2 and you can get like 16 gigabyte Wi-Fi model for a bargain basement price. But really, you want this other one. I think people will go in and like I can imagine someone getting a fully decked out iPad mini 
they cost more money than many of the 9.7 inch iPads and be totally happy with that uh, purchase. Now for the internals, uh, the, the idea of it being the iPad 2 internals, the CPU makes sense to me, but I don't know. I'm, I'm of two minds on this because I see this not so much as just a, a crappier iPad. Like I, I like the <laughs> idea of a, of a pimped out <laughs> iPad mini. But can you really have a pimped out iPad mini with with the iPad 2 internals? The iPad 2 is no slouch. And certainly you don't need a beefy GPU to drive 1024 by 768. Right? You can get away with the iPad 2 internals. But it's kind of a shame if if the iPad mini is relegated to for its entire life until the, the model is revised. Like on the day of launch, you can't buy an iPad mini that is even as fast as the iPad 3. Uh, it's never going to be faster than the iPad 2, right? If, as we've talked about in past shows, the iPad mini becomes Apple's best-selling iPad model, it's kind of the, kind of a shame that Apple's user base has taken a step back, like in terms of like if you're a game developer and like, oh my God, Apple's selling a gazillion of these iPad minis. I want to target it with games. Oh, but remember, if you have an awesome game that runs great on the iPad 3, you've got to target it at, you know, you've got to make the game run awesome on the iPad 2. And maybe that's not a big deal because maybe that's how people do things now anyway because there's so many iPad 2s out there. But it's on the current growth curve, like... There were a lot of iPad 2 sold, but there are even more iPad 3 sold. And I assume there'll even more iPad mini sold. Like it, how successful your previous product was when your when your growth curve is, is shooting up like a rocket doesn't really matter because you're going to sell even if even as a disappointment, uh, you're, you're going to sell way more of these new models than you do just because the entire user base is going up, like the number of people buying iPads is going up. Uh, so it wouldn't matter if the mix is not what you expected. You're still going to sell a ton of them. So that's kind of disappointing to me that. Uh, and that just may be a reality. They just can't afford to put anything more powerful in there because, again, the important point of this is hitting hitting a price point. Uh, but I would totally be interested in uh, an iPad mini with the same system on a chip as in the iPhone. Because certainly, like, obviously the power envelope and heat, like, they're going to put it in a phone. They have no problem putting it in an 8-inch tablet. And the, and the battery life would still be awesome because if they can get it, again, if they can get away with putting it in the next iPhone with a big honking battery that behind an eight inch display on there, I think you can get away with putting it in there, but I just don't think they will. Uh, so I, I think Marco's theories are right on that. It's probably just going to be iPad two like internals, uh, again, leveraging, uh, the use of this same system on a chip in the single core version of the system on a chip in the Apple TV and the double core in the, the revised iPad two. It makes perfect sense. that It'll be in the iPad mini. I'm less sure that he's got the the, the model numbers right, that the iPad 2.5 and 2.6 are, are the exact ones he was talking about, but I don't really think that's important. Are you going to be getting one of these things? I'm going to think about it. I'm definitely going to look at it. It's so cheap. How can I not get one? I'll buy two. Buy one for the whole family. <laughs> I will be very interested in it. No, I, I, forget, I, I forget if we discussed this, but do you feel that this is truly that this will be the replacement iPad or will this be the additional iPad that there will be two models of iPad long-term long-term some of it depends on how the selling goes but it's certainly this if this model comes out with iPad 2 internals it's it's going to be it's part of the lineup it's not it's the same way that the Nano did not replace the classic and the shuffle did not replace the Nano right it's just an additional product that they have to sell and you want the big one you want the little one both here you go yeah, because you can't, you can't, uh, sw- even if it becomes wildly popular and it turns out like, oh, I remember when they used to sell those 10 inch iPads. That was so silly. It's like eight inch floppy disks. Like that was stupid. You know, the five and a quarter and then the three and a half, like it's a natural progression. We just shrink them down. Uh, 
even if that happens sales volume wise, I think they should keep selling the larger ones, but I don't think it will happen sales volume wise. Uh, but if it did, you would have to make the mini one be as powerful. Like you know, the next time it was revised, you can't put the the next equivalent of like, you know, the iPad 3 got the A5X. So the A6X or whatever, whatever the next big uh, bump in performance usually comes to the iPad first because it's easier because of the power envelope and uh, and uh, cooling requirements and stuff like that. It's just easier to put that in a uh, in the big pads first. That would have to come to the mini. But that's not what the mini's purpose in life is here. Its purpose is to hit a lower price point. And to be thinner and lighter and do all the things that the big iPad can't. Uh, so I, I think for a long time, and and I'm hoping that the, the line will expand even further to have an even bigger model. I don't know if you can have an even smaller one. I would be happy if they upgraded the iPod Touch sometime this century. Uh, I guess they have updated this century. But how about sometime in the next decade to get a revised iPod Touch Apple? How about that? Not that I'm bitter. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I I think these two models, for sure, the big one and the little one. Now, the question is, do they have the iPad mini, the iPad 2, and the iPad 3, or do they drop the two? Do they drop the, you know, is does the mini replace the iPad 2? Right, because right now the iPad 2 is more or less the least expensive option, still gets you into it. I don't know. I, I think having three different models of iPad would probably be more than they need. I like the, to me, if I'm thinking in Apple's, it wouldn't surprise me. Like, John, I wouldn't be surprised if they kept that around. But it, it, it seems cleaner to say, we've got two. What's your price range? What size screen do you want? Well, if, if you only have a couple hundred bucks, you've got to get the small one. But it's not like that's going to be a compromised experience there. It's going to be a great device. And it also is at the same time, it's a choice based on size, large screen or small screen. I don't know. Why would they keep the other one around still? I mean, they, obviously, I, they keep the iPod Classic around. And you, you wonder who wants it, but it still sells. They still make them. I think they should keep the iPad 2 around, at least for the rest of this year and into next year. Uh, if only because it's, as Marco points out in his article, it's a really good product. Like, it has advantages over the iPad 3. Uh, it's not, like, just it completely lesser. It is thinner. It is lighter. It has better battery life. And, you know, the screen's not as nice and the performance isn't as impressive, but in some ways the performance is better than the three for certain things because the three is moving four times as many pixels and it doesn't have four times as much power in all situations. So the iPad 2 is still a really, really good product. Like, it's, I would put it the other way, that the iPad 3 is unbalanced in terms of like, it's not better in all possible ways. It's better in almost every way and one particular way, it's way better, like with that screen, but it is thicker, it does get warmer, and the battery life isn't as good. So it's not, you know, that you have, I think Apple should definitely keep the two around. Because maybe someone wants the bigger screen, they don't want the mini one, but uh, they, they can't afford a three, or they don't notice this, I was talking about this on Twitter, the number of people who do not see a difference between the retina and non-retina screens on an iPad, it continues to blow me away. Like, I, I show it to my friends and relatives, some of whom are older, but some of whom are my age, in the Apple store, and I try to say, look at the screen, compared to that, like, Many people will claim to not see a difference at all. Is it because their eyesight is bad or is it because like, oh, yeah, now that you pointed out, I see it. But man, who cares? This one looks fine. Like that is a real phenomenon. Uh, and yes, we're all going retina eventually. It's going to happen. Right. But, you know, for 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 the next year or so, there's advantages in price to having the the non-retina screen and in power and, and you know, waiting for the GPUs to catch up and all those other reasons. I think Apple should definitely keep the two around, and I'm pretty sure that they will. Boy. You want me to do a quick spot while you 
Yeah, I think pick, we'll do one more quick one and then we'll be out. All right. All right. Shopify.com. These are who we use. We use these guys and I have used them for years to sell all the t-shirts that we do. But you can really sell anything that you want. It's not limited to t-shirts. It's not even limited to physical products. They've got tons and tons of really, really cool add-ons that you can integrate into your Shopify store. What is Shopify? It's a way to sell things online. That's it. That's all you need to know. And they handle everything. They handle all of the security stuff and the stuff that meets all the different regulations internationally. They handle everything. You go there, you pick a template, you decide what, how you want to organize it, you upload your stuff, and you start selling stuff. I mean, it, it couldn't possibly be easier. Obviously, you need a way to take money. That's the only thing that they don't do for you. I mean, they do that. They let you use any one of the processors that you're interested in using from PayPal. I use PayPal and Stripe. And that way, I don't need to worry about anything. Yeah, I pay a little bit more to Stripe into PayPal, but I don't want to go through the hassle of going to the bank and setting up authorized.net. But maybe you've got that. They'll do that. But they use pretty much every payment processor that exists. They've already built in everything that integrates with it. It's done. You just enter in whatever it is that allows you to use it. And it doesn't matter how that happens because the user experience is the same no matter what. What the user sees, their process, you control every single aspect of it. You can make these things look any way you want. You make it look like your existing website or blog or whatever, or you can just pick one of their templates and, and go with it if you don't know anything about design uh, or if you don't want to spend the time. You know, ever it's just like Squarespace in that sense that you don't ever have to worry about scaling. And some of the really, really, really big sites out there are you know selling stuff and using Shopify. Why? Because they don't want to waste time building a store. So if you go to Shopify.com slash five by five, you will get three months free. Normally they give you a month free. Shopify.com slash five by five, three months free. All you need is something to sell. And if you go there, when you get there, click on the examples tab and you'll see all of the different examples of sites and they, they keep this pretty much updated. I mean, there's things that are, that are straightforward, but there are things that are really, really, really heavily customized. So it's up to you as to what you want to do. Shopify.com slash five by five. All you need is something to sell. chat room someone posted a link to a rumor thing showing supposed part leaks for next generation ipod touch yeah we all it's oh it's due right it's totally due the current ipod touch has been around for you know two what should have been two generations but they've kept the same product it's woefully outdated uh, it is not as fast as any of the recent iphones uh, it needs to be updated but there's another product i can think of we said the same thing about and look what we got there so uh, I want to believe these rumors that we're going to get a new iPod Touch with uh, iPhone-style screen and at least close to iPhone internals, you know, without the LTE and everything. I'd, it, it seems more likely to me that we'll get the iPhone screen, but with a crappier camera, a crappier CPU, like maybe just a plain old A5, you know, uh, a die-shrunk clock tire or whatever. Uh, I guess they'd have to up the GPU somehow. I don't know. Like, if these rumors are to be believed... This is going to have a tall screen retina display, but be an iPod Touch, not an iPhone. I'm not sure what they'll put inside it, but you figure it has to be crappier than the phone because it's not subsidized. It always is crappier than the phone, and I'm always disappointed. But anything, anything will be better than nothing. So let's let's uh, keep our fingers crossed for a new iPod Touch, uh, either at this event or maybe they'll introduce it at the same time as the iPad Mini, or who knows. Uh, so I put that in the show notes. My final topic here, I'm going to once again boot the same topic from, from last time into the next week. 
is a couple more little bits about Twitter. Just a few. Some things I didn't address and people have sent me feedback about. And I don't think we discussed in all of our past discussions about Twitter. Although it has been discussed in other shows, but oh well. Uh, The first bit is, uh, will Twitter sell? The company, I mean. Why hasn't Twitter been acquired by somebody else? Uh, uh, We've heard lots of rumors about people either offering to invest or or wanting to buy them. Or, you know, it seems like there are companies out there that if you told them they could buy Twitter for a reasonable price, they would take it. But thus far, Twitter has not wanted to sell. Uh, And, you know, the reasons for that are usually simple. So right now, investors think they can still get a bigger payday by not selling. Right. That's, you know, well, someone's offering us a big wad of cash and we could negotiate the price or whatever, but it's nothing compared to what we think we can build this company into. So investors and the people running Twitter really believe that any offer they can give that would be a fair price or even like a slightly unfair one that they're charging more than they think they're worth. It's nothing compared to the future possible value of this company. So they say, I'll say, no, thank you. No, we're not. We're not interested in selling. Right. And that may change with time. Right. If their current plan to make lots of money doesn't work out. I'm sure they'll be back at the table like, all right, so you guys who wanted to buy us, uh, anyone want to buy us? Uh, so how could it not work out? There's a couple of possibilities. Maybe the crankiness of the nerds that we've talked about for the past shows, maybe that matters more than Twitter thinks it does. Uh, I don't think that's the case, but that's that, that could that could happen, right? Uh, and maybe the crankiness of the nerds doesn't matter at all, but maybe their current money-making plans end up pissing off normal people, not just the nerds. Uh, that's a possibility, and I think that's a stronger possibility that who cares what the nerds think, but regular people get annoyed by stuff Twitter starts to do. Or maybe nobody gets annoyed, like the nerds go off to app.net and who cares, whatever. Uh, the normal people don't care about what they're doing, but maybe it just doesn't make enough money for them. Maybe like the, their projections don't pan out, right? There are many possibilities that could bring Twitter back to the negotiating table, right? And in this entire thing, Mark Zuckerberg is kind of the model because he is the most famous recent person to refuse big buyouts from other companies. Many times in Facebook's history, people with deep pockets have come calling to Mark and say, how many millions or billions of dollars would you like? We'll buy you for this amount of money. We'll buy you for that amount. And I remember uh, we were were all laughing at uh, Zuckerberg's. He would say like, oh, you're offering me $600 million, whatever. I'm just making up these numbers. Uh, But I believe this company is worth 50 billion or something. And people say 50 billion. I, I, I do declare (laughs) <laughs> you know, they would get all like, dig it like, uh, and then you have these humorous stories like Facebook CEO thinks his company is worth umpteen billion dollars. Isn't that hilarious? Uh, he had the same belief that that Twitter believes that yeah, you know, it's not about personal wealth. He could, he's already very wealthy, and he could cash out and be plenty wealthy. He said, you know, the amount of money you're offering me is fine and all. That's a fair offer, but the future possible value of this company is so much more than you're willing to pay. And I believe that we can make more money by staying independent. So he did. He he refused big buyout offers from reportedly Yahoo and Microsoft and who God knows how many other companies. And he stuck it out. And that takes guts. And part of the reason he was able to do this is because he had retained such control over the company. Uh, but, you know, it's like that. that's what Twitter thinks. Don't don't take the buyout. We the value future value of this company is tremendous. Nobody's offering us anything close to that. We need to stick. Because we're going to just, you know, the, the value of this company five years from now will be so massive. We'll be like, hey, remember when those guys offered us, you know, $5 billion for Twitter and we turned them down? That was such a good call because now our company is worth $20 billion And we all made uh, four times as much money in the stock that we have in Twitter. Right? Uh, so on the Zuckerberg front, though, it kind of remains to be seen if uh, Mark Zuckerberg ends up as the smart person, who, the smart kid who had the balls to refuse buyout offers and ends up, you know, does he end up as Bill Gates? The guy who 
builds the biggest, most important, powerful company technology, uh, does he end up as Steve Jobs or is he Steve Jobs in his first stint at Apple mm. or is he Steve Jobs at his second? Because Steve Jobs at his first stint at Apple, uh, you know, as Apple loves having ignited the personal computer revolution and like, you know, had, had picked the right people, the right idea at the right time, did the right things, but uh, ended up didn't end well for him. Uh, and then Steve Jobs at the second one where you come back to an almost dead company and turn it around. Which one of those is Zuck? Does Zuck end up being he refused the buyouts? They became immense and powerful, but then they imploded just like every other social network before and something replaced them. That's kind of a sad ending for Zuck. And that's kind of like a Steve Jobs ending where you build this amazing blockbuster company. Uh, but in the end, you lose to uh, the Windows PC and you leave the company and go off into the wilderness for a few years. And then maybe Zuck will feel like he's going to come back and start a new company to be the second Steve Jobs. Like, it's not sure what model Zuck fits into. And maybe maybe he's met, you know, he's going to be something new that we haven't seen. But I, I feel like Twitter's, uh, Twitter's board of directors, investors are looking up to that model and saying, that's the ideal. They didn't sell. They're going to go it on their own. We can do it, too. Uh, I would say I wish them luck, but I don't really because I don't like the way they've decided to make money. Uh, you know, and so so for for buyers, if they ever come back to the table, if it doesn't work out for the reasons I listed or any other reasons, who who would want to buy that Twitter? The Twitter that is not disgraced, but that alienated its developers by doing all this stuff, and maybe it pissed off regular people, or maybe they just didn't make a lot of money and they're back at the table. Who who wants to buy that Twitter? Uh, who who is on your short list of people you would think would still be saying, "Hey, hey Twitter, mm. do you, you know we're still here, we still have an offer. You want you want us to uh, buy you out?" I don't know, who do you think? Another company like a, like a Facebook? The first thing I would say is the most obvious is Google. Yeah. I just don't see that. I just don't see that. Well, Google has, assuming that this happens in the next year or two, Google will still have deep enough pockets. Their main search-based advertising service is pretty darn proven at this point. It's not going to implode, and it's very difficult to unseat them from their perch atop search. And Microsoft is sure trying, but not really making much of a dent. And Google desperately wants a successful social networking thing, like desperately, you know, Google Buzz, Orkut, Google Wave, like they keep trying now Google Plus. They're getting better at it, but they they would love to have like something that's already super popular. And the thing is, well, I, you know, we were talking about that. So other other possible things. Apple comes up a lot. Does Apple want to buy Twitter ever? I would have all of the companies that could potentially buy Twitter. Apple is the one I would most like to buy Twitter. The one I would least like to buy Twitter would be Google. Why would you like Apple to buy Twitter? Because I feel like it would guarantee that Twitter and Twitter like functionality will be, will be preserved and integrated into the devices that I like to use. Because if Google bought Twitter, it would make me really sad. And if Microsoft bought Twitter, I mean, they haven't screwed up Skype yet, but who knows what they would do to Twitter. I I would not like Apple to buy Twitter because think of the... I'm not saying... I'm saying if Twitter is selling to somebody. Right, that's what I'm saying. If they're selling you're to saying somebody, it's, would, it's a would, foregone conclusion that they're going to be sold. Who do like, you want to... Yeah, who, it's a hypothetical scenario. A yeah, hypothetical who do you want to... In, in our scenario, Twitter is being sold. Who Who of the companies that could afford to pay billions of dollars for it would you most want it? I would not want Facebook to have it. I would not want Google to have it. I would not want Microsoft to have it. Who's left? They're the lesser of all evils. Apple. Well, here's the evil that I think I see in Apple's acquisition. <laughs> I, I still don't think Apple understands 
social networking at all or the web at all. Right. And my fear if they get Twitter is that like the web interface to Twitter goes away because who needs a web interface to things? We just, you know, it, it'll be integrated into all of Apple's devices and everything. Uh, but if you want to integrate it into your Android devices, maybe we might have a problem. Like, I feel like they would try to they would try to take it to themselves and to sort of, you know, not isolate it from the rest of the world, but make sure like the best experience with Twitter is on Apple devices and make every other experience like more difficult or more crappy. And that's not what Twitter is about. It is a platform agnostic social networking service, as is Facebook. Like the platform is the web. And Apple still has not demonstrated to me that they understand that concept, that there is value in something that is that is outside a platform because their whole business is about platforms and they have their own platforms. And they like having their own. The web is a platform that they can't own and don't own. And so, you know, like all the iCloud stuff, well, it's integrated in all your devices. Well, what if you want to write an application and use this cloud based backend? Well, you, it has to be on Apple's platforms. You can't use those. You know, this came up with the Symperium thing recently. You know about Symperium? I do not. What is that? That is uh, the back end, the iCloud like back end that SimpleNote uses to do, you know, cloud based storage sure. and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. And they couldn't use iCloud because if you use iCloud, you can't make a Windows client. You can't make an Android client. You can't, you know, you know what I mean? If that's your cloud based back end, cloud seems like it's, oh, it's agnostic. It's open web. But in Apple's world, cloud means it works with all of Apple's devices, but you can't make a web page that uses the iCloud back end. You can't make an Android app that uses the iCloud back end. You can't make a Windows app that, you know, it's, it is totally hemmed off to Apple's world. Which is fine. That's part of their platform, but it shows that they don't they don't agree with the idea of a truly open platform, and that's what the web is, and that's what Twitter is today. You, you may you know like or dislike Twitter, but Twitter is not preventing you from accessing Twitter from a device based on your platform. You can get it on Android. You can get it on the web. In fact, they love for you to do it on the web. You can get it on on your Mac devices, on your TV. Like it's everywhere, uh, and I feel like Apple would not be on board with that plan and would. Not so much try to close it off, but just kind of like herd it towards like in the same way that, you know, you know Kindle is on. You can get Kindle on on your devices, but they would prefer that you buy from iBooks and they, they do everything they can to try to make it. Oh, stick to our platform. It's better. And so I would not want Apple to buy them. Facebook, you're right, would probably be worse because then that sucks Twitter into a whole other vortex of evil where, you know, Facebook is all about the open web. But Facebook's also all about we own the user. We own everything about them. Everything is, you know, you use applications inside Facebook. That's where they exist. They're just Borg. I don't want them to, to own Twitter. Uh, and, and I think they would just get Twitter to kill it because they were like, we'll just integrate it. And now Twitter is just Facebook messaging because so many people use Facebook messaging already anyway. So that would be bad. Google, at the very least, I think Google would do what they do with all their other properties is they want their stuff everywhere. Like Google is not pulling YouTube uh, and, you know, Chrome or whatever from Apple's platforms. There's Chrome for the Mac. There's Chrome for iOS. I assume there will be Google Maps for, for iOS if Apple lets them, right? The YouTube thing, uh, you know, Apple ditching that app. I'm assuming Google will come up. Like, we trust that Google, it's more important for Google to have their properties accessible everywhere than it is for them to prop up their platform by saying, if you want to go to YouTube on a mobile application, you either use the web interface or, you know, tough luck because the only native Google, YouTube app is available on Android. Like, I don't see Google pulling those types of moves. So I think Google would keep Twitter open. I also think they would try to fold it into Google Plus and use it to prop up Google Plus, which would also be a shame. It's not an ideal scenario, but uh, it's still, I, I would prefer Google buy them than, uh, than Apple. Hmm. So it's probably if I had to rank them. Uh, oh, and Microsoft, where does Microsoft fall? Let's continue. What the hell would Microsoft do with, with Twitter? They would integrate it into Windows, which... You know, no, but what, what's not, not integrated that. in Windows? They're not on that thing that much. Like you said with Skype, like they haven't done that with Skype. They haven't like, 
it, it, I don't know if Microsoft is realizes that that would be a bad move now or they're not in a power position or they're just not incompetent, but like they don't have time to worry about that. They're too busy putting out fires elsewhere and trying to figure out this tablet and mobile thing. They don't have time to embrace extend embrace and extend uh, these other services. Well, that's not a really valid uh, analogy because it's not an open protocol to begin with. But then they don't have time to totally integrate it and say Twitter is gone. And now it's just part of MSN or Microsoft messaging or whatever. I think they would just leave it like they left Skype, if only because they don't know what else to do with it. And they would be happy to have it and happy to have those users, but they're so divided. When I think of Microsoft, I think of just like hundreds of buildings spread out over a giant's campus with each person and each team in that building all thinking in different directions and all just pulling in different directions simultaneously. And the net is that there's no actual movement, right? It's like, a, well, it's kind of like a rat king, but not really. I try to work rat kings into every possible medium that I can. <laughs> Let me go add that Wikipedia link now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, rat kings make net progress. Though. I believe net rat kings are able to move from one place to the other, but it seems like Microsoft has got all these people pulling in all sorts of different directions and not moving with much force in a single direction with a few possible exceptions. Uh, so I think they would be a benign but slightly incompetent buyer. Uh, but yeah, if the current people stay in charge, it doesn't look like Twitter is going to sell at all. And I think their plans to make money will end up making them enough money to satisfy their investors. It will just turn Twitter into a company that I like less and less, which is a shame. But what can you do? All right, that's all I had on Twitter. Much that's to the it. chagrin of the people. People who didn't want to hear about Twitter, hey, I saved it for the end of the show, and it was short, and it was different than we discussed before. And I will leave once again, tent.io and all that stuff, perhaps for the next show. Still, I know about the ebook stuff. Still haven't talked about it. That's not yeah, timely, I though. hear that, though. Yeah, it's not timely. I'm waiting for, like, a gap in the news, but, like, now we're coming up on this event, you know, that's not going to be a gap in the news. Any Maybe, comments yeah. on the the Amazon, uh, the quote-unquote leaks around the Amazon Kindle Fire update yeah. and anything interesting? Yeah, I, I looked at a little bit of them, but it, it, like, I'm assuming it'll be what we all expect. I, I'm assuming that, as always, Amazon will try to drive prices down. They'll do that by making crappier quality hardware. They'll learn from the mistakes of their past ones, like not putting the power button at the bottom. It will be thinner. It'll be more symmetrical. It'll be faster. As Marco says, it'll run their crappy software faster. Uh, I think once you make their software faster, it becomes less crappy. So I think it, it will be better. It'll be, you know what the Kindle 2 was like compared to the Kindle 1? That's totally what I expect that the Kindle Fire 2 or whatever the hell they call it to be as compared to the current Kindle Fire. Exactly the same progression. Uh, Microsoft, uh, Microsoft, Amazon is very predictable so far with its hardware products. And I think it's good. I think it will be a better product than the Kindle Fire. Maybe it will be good enough for me to even recommend it to people to buy. So far, I have not been recommending that anyone ever buy the Kindle Fire. I'm recommending people buy the Kindle 4 if they want to read, you know, have a, have a cheap, reliable e-ink reader with a good selection of books, but the Kindle Fire, no. So that's not that exciting to me. That's all you got, huh? Yeah, I think we're done for this week. Ready to relax? Kick back, enjoy your weekend on the boat. No boat. Not not taking the boat out this weekend. No boat. I have no. I have no boat. Oh, I thought you lived in a like a sailing uh, community. No. Huh. All right. Well, if people want to follow uh, John Syracuse, you can do that on Twitter. Twitter dot com slash Syracusa. S i r a c u s a. You can also follow him on. The alpha.app.net, same thing, Syracuse. You can read his stuff over at Ars Technica. You can listen to uh, this show uh, again and all of the others that we've done here, all 83 shows. 
by going to 5by5.tv slash hypercritical. And in this case, slash 83, and you'll see all of the show notes and all the links and everything that uh, John and I have put in there for you. And I think that uh, you'll enjoy those. Lots of other shows there wait. John, thanks very much. Have a great week. You too, Dan. Oh, I forgot one more thing. You should follow the hypercritical Twitter account, which I was lucky Ooh. enough to acquire wow. the last week or two. Was that it? Did it exist somewhere else, and then you got it away from them, or did you just just create it? Now someone was squatting on it. I looked in it for a while, and I complained about someone squatting on it. And a nice person from Twitter came and gave it to me because the person like hadn't posted anything in God knows how long and didn't. Have they any do have some kind of yeah. thing where if you if you create an account and you don't use it for a period of time, someone else can request it and then get it. I don't know what their policies are or rules or what, what process is there, but that is, that is how it happens. We can discuss that in the after dark if we have time, but yeah, but anyway, I have, you've got it. So Twitter, twitter.com slash hypercritical. Yeah. And I will use that to basically do announcement type stuff or things related to the show to try to separate it from a personal account. It's a common pattern. You have it with the five by five account or whatever. Uh, I will say it will not necessarily be limited just to things related to the podcast because I do have a blog with that same title and you know, God knows what else. So, uh, it's pretty low volume, uh, mostly just an announcement account, but uh, follow it if you're interested. So that's it, I think. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Have a good one. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Hypercritical. I just wanted to thank you for that and also say that if you like that kind of stuff, you might also like another new show that we've come out with. It's called Systematic. It's a weekly discussion about creativity, productivity, work, and everything Mac and iOS. It's hosted by uh, Brett Terpstra, and uh, he's coming up on episode number eight. So there's a great catalog of shows. And I thought if, if you listened this far and you listened past the, the close, maybe you'd want to check this one out. It's a great show, and I think you might like it. You can find it at 5by5.tv systematic. Check it out. Thank you.